You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, Yet again, my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla Lee. Hi. How are you today? How are you? Well, I'm fine. I've barely, I think, seen you this week, even though Mm -hmm. I've been in the office every day. Both been in the office every day, but yeah, no time. Not even time for lunch. I don't think we had even, even had a French fry together. You ate some of my fried chicken yesterday. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but that yeah. was just like walking into your office and and taking food off your desk. Yeah, yeah, just you know, prying food out of my hungry, hungry hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you weren't looking. Yeah, yeah. I offered yeah. you one, and you took two. I saw you. <laughs> oh well, it's just my way. Yeah, I know. Um. Anyway, you know, well, you, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be angry at the uh, at the. Um, Oh, see, this is why there's limits to my brain at the end of the day. Well, um, scorpion, you're going to be angry at the scorpion, I guess, was my what I wanted to say. No, I, I get it. I know exactly the, the situation. You're, you're the scorpion who eats fried chicken. If I yeah, have fried chicken exactly. around you, it's my own fault for bringing the fried chicken to your presence. Exactly, exactly. We are talking about fried chicken here, after all. We are legit talking about fried chicken and this this is not a metaphor or an analogy and does not extend to contexts that don't involve Paul Doroshenko and fried chicken I would just point out well the other thing is that people don't know is that we have a bit of a fried chicken thing that goes on in the office so um we've eaten a lot of fried chicken over the years (laughs) and every every time that there's a pause in the conversation we discuss the, the hypothetical fried chicken restaurant that we would like to own and start and create. Well, it would won't be happen. Won't happen. Fried chicken restaurant where you don't have to wait forever. Exactly. <laughs> we have so much to talk about this week. There's a lot to talk about this week, and we've got an interesting new thing that we're introducing that I don't know that we'll, you know, we'll be able to do all the time. I don't think we'll do it all the time, but I'm willing to do it when it is appropriate. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get started. What do you want to talk about first? Well, first I want to talk about this motion from Vancouver City Council this week to introduce mobility pricing in Vancouver streets. It's a fascinating thing. Um, it exists in some other cities. Uh, it is essentially a tax for driving your vehicle into places where there is typically congestion. And in this case, downtown Vancouver and a portion south, just south of downtown, looks like maybe up to uh, up to 12th. West Broadway. Uh, going, so, is it? Yeah. yeah. Which So a, a tax on taking your vehicle, driving. Yeah. Freedom. A tax on your freedom. But I think about like all of the contexts that this is going to affect. I mean, we've had this big fight for years and years in this province to get Uber. We finally have Uber in the lower mainland. And 
now what's going to happen all the uber drivers in vancouver are going to have to pay this tax because they're offering rides to people coming in and out even though taking people out of their cars and putting them in ubers might actually reduce congestion i would think that there would be some sort of exemption for certain vehicles or that you'd be able to buy a pass or something you know i think you can do that in london but it's not going to be cheap so it's going to add to the price obviously of the uber if that ends up being the route that they go Oh yeah, super great for the people who are sometimes not even earning minimum wage working their gig economy jobs. Well, Uber can pay for it. But they may have to if they want to continue to function, right? They may have to, but I doubt they will. Um, and what about all the delivery drivers? People who drive to deliver for DoorDash, Foodora, um, well, I guess they're not around anymore. Um, but DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, skip the dishes, all of those. Well, similar thing, but I wasn't thinking so much about that. I was thinking about like, we have to get to the office, right? We've yep. got to have our cars there because we have to be able to drive to court sometimes on like completely unexpected when somebody's detained in custody and today, you've got to do a bail hearing. Today was or, a perfect example of it. I was, um, uh, I was in my office giving a presentation uh, with the DUI Defense Lawyers Association on COVID-19 jury trials. And I got a text from Zelda, my assistant, yeah. saying, Sarah needs to drive to court because MS Teams is down. Can she drive your car? And? She took my car to court. Well, there you go. But like unexpected, but, a problem yeah. that arose that had necessitated driving. And if I hadn't driven into downtown, then our client would have been arrested. Well, I thought about it a lot. You know, I thought about, because I rode my bike quite a bit in the summer and I haven't written, I haven't uh, been on my bike since it got cold, because um, I'm not going to do that. Um, but the, uh, when I did ride my bike, I mean, I often thought, what happens if I'm downtown and I suddenly have to go to court in Surrey? What am I going to do, right? What are my options when I've ridden my bike? You know, I could leave a car downtown. I've got an extra car. I've got the, you know, the Chevy pickup. I've got my, my winter car that I drive. Um, I could have left that downtown. Um, that didn't sort of make sense to me either. Uh, but there's times that like it's, uh, you know, it's more risky than, than other days to not have my car. And I need my car. I need my car a lot of times downtown, mm -hmm. unexpectedly. Yeah, and I think also that this is, you know, unfair to commuters. So many people fled Vancouver proper because they can't afford the soaring costs of houses here, which have not been corrected in any meaningful way by this pandemic, like we had all hoped. Not um, by the pandemic. It has been corrected to some extent by the, by the, uh, by the changes that the government has introduced, but not a lot, yeah. not enough that not you know a, a full time minimum wage worker can afford to purchase a home or even a condo no. in downtown Vancouver. Yeah, I know. So, so all these people they move to the suburbs because that's where they have to live because it's the only place they can afford to live, but they have to drive because, like us, their jobs might require them to go somewhere on a moment's notice or. They're so far out, like Abbotsford or Langley, that there are no real reasonable or accessible transit options. Yeah. 
and then all of a sudden now they have to pay more money for the privilege of working in Vancouver. And you know, if you look at the catchment area for this tax, it doesn't affect the wealthiest neighborhoods of Vancouver. What do you mean? The richest they... people living in the Rich... richest parts of town don't have to pay this mobility. Was well, that their idea? So the people who live in Caresdale and and uh, and uh, Shaughnessy and that are not going to have Wait, to pay. They, they don't have to pay. Really. Really? Yep. Chip Wilson. Wow. Why? Have to pay why, the hell, why the hell wouldn't Chip Wilson have to pay it? Well, he should have that's to pay. He should have to pay stupid. more than the 7-Eleven worker who's who's driving in from well, Langley. Because he's working three jobs. Yeah. And he, or going to students who are going to school and working after their, their classes are done. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did. And I needed yeah. a car to get from job to job. I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't see that part. Yeah. If you look so at Chip Wilson doesn't pay. All right. Lululemon guy. If you don't know, is Chip Wilson, and he's not going to have to pay the tax. But the uh, the um, person who works at the uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op will have to pay the tax. Yeah, and okay. you know they they say that this is to reduce congestion it's not going to take people off the road it's not going to make people go oh i'm not going to drive people by and large who have the option of taking transit take transit because yeah. if you're living somewhere where it's convenient in vancouver it's a lot more convenient than driving paying to park downtown the cost of insurance the cost of a car and maintenance Unless you have some specific aversion to transit, or your job doesn't permit it, or your schedule doesn't permit it, we're, we're not going to see massive numbers of cars moving off the road. Yeah. Well, there may be quite a few. You know, there has been in London, um, there's been lots of complaints about it, that it's, you know, discriminatory, and it doesn't really hurt the wealthy people. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you have a, if you've got a $3 million house in Vancouver, that little amount to drive downtown in your, uh, in your Range Rover is not going to affect you at all. Nope. Um, so it's not, you know, it basically creates, it makes the roads, roads for wealthy people. Well, you know, who really is entitled to the roads in Vancouver anyway, Paul? It's the wealthy people and it's the cyclists. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I agree with your cyclist point, but uh, it certainly is something that many people would agree with you that, yeah, cyclists have a lot of power. And cyclists aren't contributing either to the costs that they're creating on the roadways. You know, there's no tax on cyclists for the introduction of all of these bike lanes, even when the bike lanes take away travel lanes. You know, I, I, I drive over the Canby Bridge on my way home every day. And by the way, I'll have to pay the mobility tax. Um, well, for sure you will. Yeah. <laughs> That'll learn you. Oh, learn me big. I'm not walking 20 minutes to the closest SkyTrain to SkyTrain downtown and then have to figure out how to get to court if somebody hires me at 11 o'clock for a two, two o'clock ticket. Like, I, yeah. I, I can't do that. I can't do my job. Um, yeah. The, but the cyclists, they contribute nothing. Nothing? Well, they don't, they don't contribute any more than, than anybody else. Well, they don't pay gas tax. So. They don't pay gas tax. They don't pay <laughs> transit the, tax. 
and that's the uh, that's the probably you know biggest contribution the drivers make is in in gasoline taxes. Um, the bike lane cost millions. Yeah. No, oh, I know. I know. Hey, you're preaching to the converted here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the converted are listening to the podcast. <laughs> you're preaching <laughs> to the converted. I don't think there's many cyclists listening to the podcast. That's for sure. My ongoing frustration anyway. Um, other thing I wanted to talk to you about, there was a story. I read it in Narcity. Nar Narcity? Yeah. Narcity? I don't know how you pronounce it. But the I don't know. online BC focused newspaper thing. Yeah. Um, about a the headline pissed me off. Uh, a super drunk BC woman in her twenties drove her Mustang right into someone's house. It was in the middle of the afternoon. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. I also yeah. saw it on um, um, the Kelowna. Um, website castanet? i can't remember what it's called now what's that castanet castanet you're right i saw it on castanet yeah um that's uh i mean it's a phrase that's i think actually a, a legitimate term in some u.s states that they've got like super drunk as a category um of impairment and to see that in a canadian news article was a little bit upsetting to me because it's really misleading. And, and in that case, I think the police used an approved screening device. Yes, this was the thing that made me so mad about it. So it's, it's 4.10 in the afternoon. There's this Mustang that goes into a house. There's no explanation at this point why. They deal with the woman. They make an approved screening device demand, take her back to the detachment, and sh she gets samples over 80. We don't know yeah. what the results were. We know that she failed the ASD test, which tells me that either the officers didn't think that she was super drunk or didn't even have any suspicion that she had alcohol in her body and did a mandatory demand as a routine procedure involving a serious accident. Yeah, there's only two situations where you're using an ASD. And one is you're looking at the person, you're saying that I don't think they're, I can't say that they're impaired because they look pretty normal and but they've got alcohol in their body and the other one is you know i'm not relying on any opinion i'm just making a mandatory demand because it's a lawful stop which would be inappropriate in this case you know assuming the police are doing it correctly that's a problem ongoing problem that you and i have dealing with irps is the uh, assumption the tribunal has that the police are doing things correctly when so often we see they're not they're not mostly not Very yeah so not. So the, I don't know, it just, it, it, to me, it is part of an ongoing frustration that I have about the lack of understanding in this country about our impaired driving laws. Like how many times have you heard someone say, oh, it's my right to refuse to do the test? Well, that's a, that I think arises. Well, I will tell you, over the course of my career, I've had more people tell me that who were Americans or people who had spent a lot of time in the United States. Yeah. And of course, you know, in most states, I think there's only one state or maybe two states where you're compelled to provide a sample. Um, in the rest of the United States, you can refuse a breath test. Uh, at least that's my understanding. I'm not an American lawyer. So people come here and they think that they can refuse a breath test because they think it's their right to refuse a breath test. 
It's their right to refuse to participate in the investigation. And in most respects in Canada, it is your right. Like I gave this presentation this week to some paralegals in Ontario, and you start trying to explain, you know, it, it's very complex, right? You've got a right to silence. You've got a right to not participate in the investigation, except with respect to certain things in the criminal code, which makes it very difficult to advise people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of people, you know, are most, uh, many people and most people who come from the United States and are here are of the belief that they can refuse the sample. What always surprises me is that people assume that the law is going to be the same when they cross the border. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> you're in a different country, dude. Um, different but, country. Uh, yeah, different, completely different legal system. Um, yes, it's the same science and it's the same devices and it's the same standard, uh, 08. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, that, that, that's a fairly common thing. I, I don't know. I think like, think of your 12 step videos that you've got or whatever, not the 12 step videos, this, the videos you've got on the, well, you have the, 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 um, you did a series explaining the drug recognition evaluation, but the think the of your videos on the yeah yeah i should redo that this year um your um your videos on impaired driving investigations yeah you know, i don't know i think there's you've got like 20 of them now there's lots of them they're great if you haven't watched them go find them on youtube they're on our our youtube channel kylo's got these steps of an impaired driving investigation and it's really like essential watching for police officers because it breaks it all down in a very um non-biased maybe dry manner but think how many steps oh, you've gosh. got there and think how many, you know, if, if, you know, this, then this you've got on there. So I, I, it's pretty complex to explain what I didn't like about the super drunk thing is a, it's not a phrase we use in Canada. B it is really um, unfair to this driver mm -hmm. uh, and C of course, you know, it's a circumstance where obviously they were not, you know, grossly impaired because the police wouldn't be using an approved screening device in such case, again, assuming the police are doing it correctly. I would hazard that this person may have a defamation claim. Hmm. I mean, what if, well, that's what if interesting. the accident with the house was not as a result of alcohol consumption, although, you know, maybe this person had consumed some alcohol, but was a medical condition? Well, that's an interesting thing. You know, over all these years, I've had a few cases that were newsworthy. Um, and in all the newsworthy cases that I can think of, except one, the person was either acquitted or there was a stay or there was something. Um, and, you know, they get in the news and it's very, um, the way it's described in the media is, is really passing judgment already in that case, for sure. Um, you know, in the, in the super drunk case. And if she's ultimately acquitted, maybe she could sue. But nobody ever wants to draw that attention to themselves. Yeah, that's true. So that's probably the main reason it doesn't happen. Um, not so connected to driving law, but driving home today, I heard on the news at CBC that um, the owner of many properties across the country, Cadillac Fairview, uh, had cameras set up in their directories to gather information about the age and gender of shoppers. Uh, and that was not disclosed to anybody. And they were using complex software to, to gather this information and it was stored with a company in Ontario. Oh shit. Uh, and um, the privacy commissioners of BC, Ontario, the federal government and another 
province looked into this and they have no power to impose fines but they found this you know horrible thing that this company was doing huge property company and talk about potential lawsuit um, mm -hmm. you know that's where eric mcgracken and somebody like him steps in with a class action and anybody who's been in those malls has had their privacy violated unlawfully oh i've been in a lot of there's malls. There's a circumstance. Well, if you've walked up to the directory in particular, and I certainly have walked up to the directory in these places in, in Richmond and, and downtown Pacific Center was one of them. Um, and uh, there's, your, there's your lawsuit. Now, the only connection to driving is that I was driving when I heard it on the radio today. But, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a circumstance where I think, you know, people would be willing to sign up for a class action uh, in these individual circumstances where your name is in the newspaper for a day and and maybe never again um and you know newspapers do delete things right That's um true. eventually it, you know it'll go away the north shore news had a bunch of articles uh with me and some of my clients and i went to look for them at some point and they were gone and the vancouver sun deletes things too like you know they have it in archives but they don't keep it up there for forever well i mean this person's name's not in the story but if you're in Vernon and you have a yellow Mustang, people probably know who you are. It's not yep. exactly a common car. Yeah. Anyway, I just, you know, I, I wish that there were more responsible dissemination of information, and I'm not blaming the media specifically, but I wish there were more responsible dissemination of information about impaired driving investigations in Canada, because it's, it, it it empowers people to understand these stories, but also to understand the law when the information is conveyed accurately. But Kyla and Lee, that's what you're there for. That's what I am there for. I provide information to as many people as I possibly can. I was on Twitter just before you and I started recording tonight, talking to people about what their rights are when they're pulled over and what information they have to give to police. Well, there you go. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. Well, you still have to say some things. You gotta tell them your name and your address. Name and address. They ask you where you're coming from and where you're going. You can say, what is this fucking police state? No, don't say that. Well, it depends how sober you are. <laughs> if, you're, if you're completely sober and you feel really like you're, you're willing to take them on and you're not doing anything wrong, and particularly if you've got a recording device going, then uh, I would, I would, I would not discourage you from doing that. Well, I always think that next time I get pulled over, I'm just going to talk to them totally in pirate talk. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Go through a roadblock. Arr, matey. Uh, had anything to drink tonight? No, matey. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I would that that. That. please film it yeah. when you do it. Yeah, I'll still uh, confirm who I am. I guess we should also follow up just very briefly on the results of the provincial election. Are you surprised? Uh, it was a bigger win than I expected. Um, I, um, you know, David Eby, it wasn't, uh, it was a little tight, uh, despite the fact that the person they were running had um, basically, I, I'd never heard of him before and did not seem particularly interesting in any way, shape or form. Uh, but of course I live in a riding where those houses are uh, expensive and people are upset about this tax on the uh, on the three million dollar and up homes. Yeah. Um, so there's been a there's been a heavy campaign against him. 
but um, you know, overall, of course, the uh, the NDP took a uh, have a massive majority, and I think again, the same thing happened in Saskatchewan. The Saskatchewan party expanded their uh, their majority, and I think right now in a pandemic, uh, if you have an election in anywhere but Alberta, I'd say you've probably got a pretty good chance of getting more seats because the incumbent government is, uh, if they look like they're reasonably you know, handling the pandemic reasonably well are likely to have the sympathy sympathy of the electorate. Yes. Um, the one thing that filled me with hope after the election results was I wrote some tweets congratulating some of the politicians whom I had endorsed. Um, as you know, I was not endorsing a party, but I was endorsing individuals, um, including Mike Farnworth. And I mm -hmm. made a joke that I look forward to uh, to watching what he does very, very closely, but that the first thing we should do is talk about his cell phone legislation. And uh, he liked the tweet. So I'm going to interpret that as Mike Farnworth going, yeah, Kyla, let's talk about rewriting the cell phone legislation. I had to explain how legislation happens this week um, to somebody um, who didn't really have an idea. And I think probably it's important for the public to know how legislation happens. Um, so when we see a change to the Motor Vehicle Act. It's not that there is a uh, hue and cry of the elected officials or that they've received thousands of letters from people uh, or that there's been a court decision um, that they must respond to or that there's a new threat on the road, um, super drunks or something. Uh, what happens usually is some bureaucrats in the government um, approach the, their supervisor and say, hey, we'd like to change the law for this um, and the supervisor will say oh, why and they'll say well we, we, we want to do this and they'll say oh, okay all right sure enough makes sense and then they send some uh, emails off to another office where they actually write the legislation uh, the proposed legislation and they you know there's an office in the in the government where they like write it in a manner that is consistent with other legislation in BC and then it goes to the government and it's usually part of some sort of omnibus bill, change the Motor Vehicle Act, an act to amend the Motor Vehicle Act. And half the time the legislators, Mike Farnworth or anybody, doesn't have a clue why this line is in number, you know, on page three, uh, section 4B that amends section 215 of the Motor Vehicle Act. And if you were to ask them, they can't answer it. And you see them in the legislative assembly being asked and they give an answer that is not the accurate answer. They don't know most of the time what the implications are. And more often than not, the opposition hasn't even read it and they've never thought of the implications of it. And so, you know, unless there's a something like introducing cell phone legislation, that's the one time that maybe it's looked at and it goes to committee and there's a discussion in committee and you can find the committee discussion on the current version of our cell phone legislation where uh, Mike Farnworth was the opposition, Cash Heed was the one introducing the legislation uh, when he was the uh, solicitor general. And Cash had a fairly good idea about it. Mike didn't have a great idea about it, but you know, in both cases, I mean, it was fairly well thought out in the sense that you can see what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but all the changes since um, are not ones where the minister has understood, you know, this is how this is in, uh, being applied here. Here's where the mistake is here. Here's a good example. 
So this week I did a vehicle impound review. And in the vehicle impound review, the police officer had certain obligations. And because the, uh, my client had a previous vehicle impound, uh, the vehicle impound went from seven days to 30 days. And the only review you could do in those circumstances was on the basis of whether or not the person had a previous vehicle impound. That was the only thing you could apply for for review. You couldn't apply for it because it was unlawful. You couldn't apply for a review because the police officer um, found out that you had been having an affair with the, their wife. The, you, couldn't, you, know, you couldn't apply for a review for any other reason, except that the person you know, that arguing, applying for a review saying, I didn't have a previous impound which of course is just a matter of what's on your record. Um, it, it's a defect in the legislation. Mm -hmm. I argued it and I said, you know, that this cannot be the intention of the, of the legislative assembly. And I was successful, but I don't know why yet, because I haven't got the decision letter. Uh, but, you know, very often the legislation, there's a plan. Uh, it's not the government that comes up with a plan. It's people who work for the government who have an idea. And that's how it ends up. That's how our law is made, folks. <laughs> you want to you have confidence in your democracy. <laughs> That's the way the law is made. Well, you know. Sorry, maybe, it's kind of sad. Maybe things will change and maybe people will consult with the relevant subject matter experts before drafting legislation. Well, see, they used to do that. Um, there was a criminal law committee, committee in the federal government and there were lawyers consulted across the country anytime they made changes and it didn't exist anymore and by the time we got to jody wilson raybould making the changes to the impaired driving legislation there was no such thing and so you and i look at it all the time and you know you found a flaw this week that we had never thought of um that was like it's a fatal flaw in many in many cases um that, that they never thought of and i never thought of either and you and i both presented that either the Senate or the House of Commons. I can't remember which. The Senate, I guess, I presented there. I think you presented the House of Commons. But, um, you know, it, it just doesn't have that. It, it's already been introduced, right? And now the government's already behind it. And by the time you get to those committee hearings, Senate and House of Commons, we can see, despite the fact that we laid it out, not much got fixed. The yeah. only thing that got fixed was that everybody was guilty, right? When they originally <laughs> had the back guilty. extrapolation program. Back extrapolate from zero. <laughs> If to eight hours. So eight hours after driving, everyone was guilty of having a blood alcohol concentration of, of at 80 milligrams because they would add um, 10 milligrams an hour to your, to your, to, so if you started at zero, you would, you would always be guilty. Every one of us was guilty if that legislation had passed. And that was, you know, the, the wisdom of, of, of that office coming up with that legislation. Frightening. Yeah. Um, okay. So election recap. Surprised? Kind of. Not really. There you go. That's what happens. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they, they came out with a stronger majority than I expected. Uh, yeah. But I did expect the incumbent to be in the incumbent is, all, is always advantaged when you're going into winter. Um, we know that. And um, the, um, the incumbent in a pandemic, I think, is the, you know, you, you, you want to stick with what you've got, uh, and obviously take note. Uh, you know the the liberals in Ottawa can right now run the 
government as though they have a majority because anybody who pulls the plug is just going to create a majority for them. Well, they so, also are, are basically playing the game of, oh, yeah, well, you're not going to vote for this. We're going to turn it into a confidence vote. I don't think so. Look at the things that they did it on. Um, you know, they, they've said that, uh, that they will do that, but it's only because the conservatives are only basically looking for opportunities for grandstanding. So shut them down. And the NDP, you know, voted with them federally uh, to stop the conservatives from doing that. You know, it's a pandemic, let the government run. There's the other thing about the government is, you know, you sit there and you're a citizen and you're trying to figure out like, you know, is, is the government like your parents when you're a child? Are they all knowing? Um, you know, do they, can they actually get things done? You know, it's just people in offices, sometimes like a couple people in an office in a town or a city or whatever. And um, not the fact even that they accomplish competent people. I know. And the fact that they actually get anything done is a little bit of a surprise to me. You know, we, we work in an office, uh, we get a lot done, we're pretty productive, but we're also, you know, motivated because we have our clients and we have to get it done in order to be able to earn enough money to be able to eat. And if you're working for the government, you don't have that motivation. So, you, you know, there's not the same motivation to get the work done. Uh, it's, you've got to be motivated on the basis of the fact that you have a job and you care, but how much can you do? You know, one government worker for every, um, thousand people like there's there's limits to what the government is can accomplish um and you see in the u.s when they're you know not properly staffed in all of these offices because uh trump never appointed people to deal with so many different things how they're just catastrophically failing and we're sort of drifting along on the edge all along in alberta they're trying to turn themselves into alabama by eliminating the government um you know in bc that's not really where we're going during the course of a pandemic, but there's this perpetual fight to, to do that. Anyway, I'm going off track. You are off track, but I will say the one thing about, is the government like your parents? I was very happy to see my parents, Dr. Bonnie and Adrian Dix, back together again today. Were you? Yes. I would be happier if they made me dinner. Well. Because <laughs> that's what I do for my kids. <laughs> Make make me dinner and get me to school. You're not in school. Do my laundry. I'd go back to school if somebody else would make me dinner. <laughs> drive drive me there and do my laundry. Especially if I could go back to grade three dictate and uh, you know grade three French immersion. Okay. I'd work my ass off now. Yeah. Uh, just do everything you could to pass grade three. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. All right, so you wanted so to introduce of kids. a new segment. Yeah, well, I suggested a new segment, and I think you can be the one who does it. It is your podcast. You're my co-hostess with the mostest, so. Okay. So this is the, um, let's see if I can, let's see if I, I don't have the name of the young fellow, but I, what I want to introduce is the driving hero of the week. Uh, we actually have a driving hero this week, and his name um, is Finley Goddard. He's a a 11 year old who lives in uh, Prince George, British Columbia, and he was driving with his parents, and I think he had a brother as well. They were driving south of Prince George, um, near a, a town called 
Hickston, British Columbia. I've never heard of it, but it's on Highway 97, south of Prince George. And they're in a Toyota 4x4 quad cab with a canopy on it. Toyota 4x4s are great in the mud, but as my um, mother's husband said when he had his, uh, they were like a pig, great in the mud, terrible on the ice. Uh, and apparently um, the father, I think, was driving, lost control, ended up flipping in a field and landing on its side, uh, passenger side down. Both parents were in rough shape. And um, this young fellow, um, our uh, hero driver of the week, well, Finley. <laughs> Phil, I'm sorry. No, but in our driving. Driving our hero. Driving hero of the week. Sorry. Thank goodness he wasn't driving. Well, he might have been a better driver than his dad. <laughs> Who knows? Um, kept his cool and uh, was able to, uh, basically, everybody else was so disoriented and screwed up. They weren't really functioning. Dad couldn't get his door open. So he crawled up. Uh, managed to get his own door open well enough to crawl out on top, which was then the driver's side up in the air, and um, and extricate everybody, open the door, and get everybody else out. And the uh, thing that impressed his parents most was that he just like kept his head together, just kept his cool, and said, "Yeah, don't worry, you guys, I'll get you out of here. Uh, you know, you can do this, mom. It's okay. You've got this." He kept saying. So they, uh, he's, he is the hero, our driving hero of the week. I suspect Finley like has a future career as a firefighter. He might, he might be a great firefighter. He might be great at that, uh, you know, if he's that calm and can handle those circumstances, that's obviously a stressful circumstance. You know, you would think he's probably in shock, uh, but he just, uh, you know, kicked into action and did all the right things. So, um, got his parents out of the vehicle and, uh, and got his uh, sibling out of the vehicle and kept as cool as he was doing it. And there's a picture of the vehicle on CBC's website, um, a Toyota pickup truck, and it's pretty, it's pretty smashed up. So, yeah, rough ride. Anyway, congratulations to him, our driving hero of the week. Now, I have to say we're not going to have a driving hero every week. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can find a uh, ridiculous driver every week, but we cannot find a driving hero every week. That's... No, I mean, there's been a few cases where we thought about it over the last year, but it's like once every three months, there's a driving hero. So maybe through the winter months, there'll be more. Tells you a lot about our drivers in the world. <laughs> um, speaking of ridiculous driver of the week, Paul, it's time for the ridiculous driver of the week. <laughs> Ridiculous driver of the week. Also in Prince George. Oh, yes, this one. Yes. So this is a driver um, who managed to cause a lot of damage in Prince George, uh, hitting an ambulance, requiring two paramedics and the two patients that they were transporting to be rushed to hospital in a second ambulance because this ridiculous driver driving a stolen pickup truck at a high rate of speed on Highway 97 in Prince George, uh, smashed into them. They believe yeah. they may have been impaired and that speed was also a factor, no surprise there. Well, when it's a stolen vehicle, there's sort of a presumption that you're an asshole. <laughs> and hit an ambulance, um, there's a big presumption you're an asshole. Yeah. And cause an accident where you, in a stolen vehicle, 
where you send a bunch of people to hospital and you've destroyed an ambulance, what's an ambulance worth? Quarter million dollars? I don't know, probably more than that. Damaged one, maybe it's easily repaired. I don't know. Um, that's a supreme asshole. And he's going to end up appearing in court in Prince George at some point. Yes, very unfortunate. If you find yourself driving a stolen vehicle and coming upon an ambulance, do everybody a favor and, you know, at least drive lawfully past the ambulance. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, avoid stealing cars. Um, I know sometimes it might be inevitable. Um, you know, <laughs> okay, I can't really think of a circumstance where it would be inevitable, but, but you in any event, action films. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's true. There may be circumstances where it is inevitable if there's like an alien invasion or something like that, or you're being chased and there's a, a call some sort of terrorists after you, or there's, yeah, there's yeah. you get a call that they're gonna, they've got your your family member and they've got them hostage and yeah zombie outbreak exactly okay all right so in those circumstances still try not to cause an accident with an ambulance <laughs> also in those circumstances don't steal vehicles yeah but yeah. you know if you find yourself in that situation don't cause an accident with an ambulance if there if there is a zombie outbreak you can count on finley goddard yeah Finley is going to be an 11-year-old boy who rescued his family. He probably will rescue you too. He'll be on my zombie survival team. Exactly. That, that's our podcast. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, went by quickly this week. Nice to talk to you, Lee Wise. Usually, usually it doesn't with me. Well, I you think say that with other people, but not with me. We've talked about stuff all week that, you know, we're, we're maybe tired of talking to each other, but this week we haven't spoken so well that's just because we're so damn busy and um it is um an interesting thing because usually october's are very slow for us this is october in a pandemic i don't know why we are now at the end of october and we didn't have a slow day no. uh today i did um two dispositions and this week i've done numerous hearings and I just have not had a moment to come up for air. Yep. Same here. That's, yeah. So um, we'll see what, we'll see what November brings. I mean, I suppose I've been thinking about this. If we end up in a lockdown situation at Christmas or there is no Christmas or there's no Christmas parties, then there may be fewer impaired driving cases. But I read today in, um, in Delta that impaired driving was up again. So Delta well, police. I can tell you with certainty that we will not be in a lockdown situation. Bonnie Henry said today that uh, they've looked at lockdowns in other jurisdictions and they have no plans ever to introduce a lockdown in BC. No, and it wasn't even really a lockdown when it was a lockdown here. No, in Ontario, they had things locked down more. I mean, we had two weeks where we um, well, basically shut things down. Yeah, and when we did that as well, it was also for a moment to think about, learn about the pandemic, figure out how to handle it, and figure out steps we need to take. In Richmond, we've got a big sheet of plexiglass in the front and a table, and you can sort of walk in to deliver something, but we're not meeting clients. In Vancouver, same thing. No clients coming in. We deal with everything, phone, email. Um, you know, my appearances today, I did one in Campbell River and one in Vancouver, and I did them both over the phone. Mm -hmm. So... 
You know, this uh, we've we've worked out all sorts of systems to deal with the pandemic in BC, but the numbers keep climbing. So something's going to give. Something will give. What that is, we don't know. Um, but something's going to have to happen. Anyway, that's a depressing note to end the podcast on. So. Okay, thanks a lot, Kyla. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. And if you have a driving law related issue, you can tune in next week to another exciting episode of Driving Law or find us online, VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889. One final thing, Kyla has a new music video out there. Um, you can go onto our website and you can find it. It's, um, what's it called? Like What You Do? It's going through my head all the time. It's great. Like what you do. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye, Kyla. Bye. Bye, everybody.